Hello, thanks for joining Cycling Journals on the Road. Well, we're here today in Umbria, in the wine-producing hills of Sagrantino, a beautiful place. A rainstorm just passed through, and just I mean, you can see off in the horizon these these vineyards, the uh, the famous uh, Sagrantino di Montefalco. And, and tomorrow we're going to have a time trial in those hills, and, and the Giro d'Italia should should just keep rolling on. Uh, we've passed nine stages in this Giro d'Italia, and I'm joined today by by my co-host for this Cycling Journals on the Road podcast, Andy Hood from Vela News. Andy, how are you doing today? Good. Very nice. Uh, nice rest day, busy rest day. In the morning, uh, we hit a few teams, and I was trying to actually enjoy some of this uh, beautiful Umbrian uh, countryside. We're on the bike, and not more than 10 k's away, man, started to, to rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... So we'll see what happens tomorrow, man. I don't know. I think the forecast tomorrow, uh, but I saw the clouds building, and I go, it's, I know I'm going to get wet, but you just got to ride when you can. It was like one of those ride or hide moments, and I rode, and I paid for it. Yeah, you rode, and a lot of the other guys are out there preparing for the time trails, and they did the recon in the morning before the storms came through, and, and now the sky's opening up again, and it looks like we're going to have a, a, a you know continuation of this beautiful Giro d'Italia. I was talking about that the other day. I just remembered a few years ago, we had a nasty Giro d'Italia with rain every day, so we've been fortunate in this Giro. In this podcast, we're going to be uh, listening to Garrett Thomas, Matt White from Arika Scott, and Adi Ingalls, who knows Tom Dumoulin very well. Tom sits in third place overall, right behind Thibaut Pinot, the Frenchman, second overall, and of course, the race leader going in tomorrow's time trial, Nairo Quintana. A lot happened yesterday with about right ahead of the final climb, Andy. Just what happened? It was a kind of a, a big explosion in the race due to some strange circumstances. Yeah, it was, it was really the wrong kind of thing you wanted to see at this moment of the Giro. Uh, the great thing about this Giro has been the number of GC contenders coming into this race, right? I mean, this is probably the best and deepest GC field the Giro has, has seen for a long, long time. because you it's, know, it's the 100th Giro d'Italia, too. <clears throat> we should mention that. Yeah. You know, every, every, every year, last couple of years, the, the, the Giro's managed to cherry-pick kind of one big name. You had Contador coming in. You had Nairo a couple of years ago. You know, they always had kind of one or two big international stars. But this year, at this Giro, I think it's going to be really a deeper GC field than we see at the tour. But man, that all changed yesterday and for all the wrong reasons, you know, with that, the motorcycle, um, motorbike was parked, you know, uh, just really on that white line, halfway on, halfway off the road. You know, everyone knows he should not have been there. I was talking to one of the moto drivers this morning and he, he was just saying, what a, what a massive mistake that was that, that motorcycle uh, police officer made because those guys are on the road out there every day Typically, they know where they can go. They know where. Cause sometimes, you know, you can't stop like that during the race when it, when it's all strung out, or it's a small group, or the pelotons are strung out. But that was, you know, that was a full sprint to the base of the of the blockhouse, and to have the cop there to provoke that crash, and and then we lost. You know, the the, the fallout was was really as I think permanently changes this Giro. Uh, Sunweb was was re- leading along the left side for Tom Dumoulin. And a few of the guys got through. Wilco Kilderman is one of the domestics for Tom Dumoulin here in the hotel with us this evening. Uh, clipped the motorbike and then uh, caused a wave of crashes behind him with, uh, I think it was six Team Sky riders. Uh, among them were, the, were their two leaders for this Giro d'Italia. Mikel Landa finished third in 2015 and Garrett Thomas, who is given his first chance to lead a Grand Tour team from the start. And Adam Yates, uh, si- uh, twin brother Simon Yates, who is leading the Eureka Scott team. Terrible day for them. Uh, uh, Garrett Thomas 
rolled in at uh, five minutes back. Mikel Landa, we thought maybe he wouldn't even roll in, but he eventually got to the bus at 26 minutes back. Disastrous day, and you hate, you hate to lose contenders in that way. Uh, also, still with only two weeks to still with two weeks to to, to race in the Giro d'Italia. Let's just hear from uh, Garrett Thomas and what he had to take from that ra- from that crash. Obviously, we were racing for the bottom of the climb, filling the whole road, and next thing I know, just out of nowhere, the guys in front of me went down and clipped the motorbike, and that was it. Yeah, I was down on the floor, and yeah, my shoulder was—I uh, thought I'd done something bad—and then, but as the doc lifted me up, it kind of popped back in, and it was okay. But then I obviously had to get a bike, and yeah, I was just. Game over then. Game over is what he said, Garrett Thomas. And, uh, you know, he, he got to his bus and, and rolled down. And, and Garrett's so pro. He, he, does his, he does his warm down and he, and he gets off and he, and he gets and looks right at the journos and, and does his thing and talks to the journos. I mean, these teams are, are paid by, by big organizations for publicity reasons and writers are, are paid to send out that message. So, you know, when a lot of writers run and hide to the bus and don't come off the bus because of bad days or injuries, Garrett Thomas is a is an example that many should look up to because he does his duties day after day and, and we're very thankful for for Thomas for spending his time with us in those terrible circumstances and the question was immediately after should Movistar have waited at that point when when they when they must have known that Adam Yates was back there when when Sky's two leaders were on the ground ah for me this is a this is an old uh, 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 this this argument needs to be like packed up, put into like, a safe lockbox, put some chains on some rocks and throw it into the deep sea, <laughs> so it never comes up again. We need to go find a lockbox. So let's just get <laughs> out there and do that. Find a lockbox. This is uh, you know, every time this happens, everyone's like, oh, they should have waited. They should have waited. It's not Like you know, even Matt White yesterday was, was suggested that Movistar was out of line. But you know, it wasn't only Movistar at the front. You know, we had. Uh, Sunweb, and all the teams were at the front. In fact, Mikel Landis said, you know, whose fault is it? He said, well, it's all of our faults because everyone's trying to be at the front in these positions. But at that moment of the race, I mean, it's, the debate is always there. It's like, do you wait? Do you not wait? The general consensus, consensus when the peloton is, if you talk to all the riders and all the teams, is when the race is on, quote, on, no one waits. It doesn't matter what the scenario is. And at that point, you're one kilometer from what was really from the base of the, of the blockhouse, what was really just a 20-kilometer sprint. All the team, I mean, Movistar was leading out, but all the teams were railing it right there. You know, we had Sunweb and Sky on the left side of the road, parallel to Movistar was on the right side of the road. Um, so in that situation, you know, there's no way to organize the, a stop of the race. And just a slowdown, though. Yeah, you can't even really do that because then it just it takes all the air out of what all the work that Movistar was doing, it takes all the initiative out of their efforts. And I mean, the only the only little asterisk you could add to that situation yesterday was, you know, it wasn't a crash caused by right. rider error, or you know, it was an organizational error, it was an extra something out of the sport that provoked that crash. So maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room there. But in these other situations where there's debates, like, oh, last year when Queswick crashed, you know, he ran into a snowbank while in the pink jersey. It's like, oh, you know, courtesy as you wait for the pink jersey. No, not when the race is on. Because there's so many different factors, so many different things happening all at the same time. It's impossible to stop the race. Even though yesterday, you know, you could make that point that, that 
you know, it's something beyond just the sporting aspects provoked that crash. Maybe. Like like the arch last year that fell on um, Yates. Science, yeah, was it Science? Adam, Adam Yates. Adam Yates. Yeah. And, and the, the motorbike that, that uh, took out the Molima uh, port and yeah. Chris Froome on the Mon Van 2. Yeah. Yeah. Those were a little bit closer to uh, closer to the finish line scenarios. But, I mean, even just thinking about this today, it's like when you look at cycling, professional cycling, it is so dangerous. In fact, I was looking at YouTube today yeah. and I was trying to find... You're often uh, on YouTube. I'm often on YouTube. And I was trying to find uh, just a video clip of something else just for a story I was working on and came across one of these uh, compilation you know, crashes of 2016. I love those. I love you those. Know, so I just kind of clicked, in morbid curiosity, clicked on it. And you just realize, man, it's like there is no sport that is as dangerous as professional road racing. Yeah. And it's just getting more and more dangerous every year because the riders are going faster, the uh, the road furniture, and but I think another factors are, I think that the you know there's more fans in the road, there's more road furniture, and I personally think the race organizers are way out of step with the dangers of the races, racing these days. I mean, I think the race organizers, like yesterday, venue, boy, he's like, he just shrugging his shoulder, he goes, oh, that's cycling, what can you do, yeah, you can't yeah. stop. It's like, man, you know, I think that the race organizers in the UCI really need to step up just in terms of just making a, a safe race. Put them all on velodromes. Well, you can't do that. But you can. I think there's a lot more that they could do. But I know it's, it's, it's a complicated rolling beast that's just piling yeah, along. Yeah. And, and we, were day, we were talking about that the other day in the car, just how, you know, can modern cycling continue to evolve into the future because of all these, uh, you know, the world is changing yeah. and, and it's... It's hard to to uh, make this thing work sometimes. Yeah, and you hate to see the guys taken out by something other than uh, their own doing, by by something that shouldn't be in the race. In this case, a motorcycle parked on the side of the road. Matt White, the sports director, head sports director for Rika Scott, where there's Adam Yates, who was kind of going was going for the overall here in this race, said that Movistar had no reason to push the pace as they did. Well, I think the decision that Movistar made was was incorrect. Uh, there, there was no brake they were chasing, uh, it was on a downhill section and every, everyone was aware of who went down in that crash. So I, I think this, the best decision on a sporting front would have been, all they had to do was slow down for one or two minutes, they weren't chasing anything and then it would have given time to get off, get, guys to get off the deck and you know, there was clear key favourites on the deck there and there was no need to push the pace as they did. And so it's just disappointing because I've got a lot of respect for that team and I think they made the poor decision today. Uh, he called it a poor decision, and, and Nairo Quintana said that uh, you know they were already at, ahead of the race, and, and they were already pushing the race, um, and, and that was the order of the team directors, and uh, they didn't know what happened behind, and surely they would have known there was a crash, but they probably didn't know who, who all was in the crash, and, and Nairo said he's, he's sorry for the guys that were, that were in the crash, but the, the race was already running, and they said it's too bad for something like that to have happened. Uh, and, and, and good on Thomas, uh, he agreed with Nairo Quintana. I was racing on then, you know, we were racing anyway and, you know, that's just unfortunate that, well, it shouldn't have happened, but that's what happened, you know, and yeah, I don't blame them, they were already riding for, well, a good while before that anyway, so. You're listening to Cycling Journals on the Road. Andy Hood, a lot of a lot of other things happened in the race uh, yesterday, though. I mean, we saw Vincenzo Nibali didn't look quite brilliant. Uh, TJ Van Garderen, the American of BMC Racing, also likewise looked even less brilliant. Yeah, Nibali was kind of hard to read yesterday because he was kind of almost, you know, time trialing, and that he had those hands down the bars like that. It was just kind of time trialing back to Nairo's little early attacks. 
He, and, he said he rode a steady climb, so. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, I thought he was racing smart yesterday. You know, at a certain point, he just couldn't hold that pace and kind of pulled back and tried to limit his losses. I think he, he still only lost maybe a minute uh, or less than a minute. Mm. Um, so, you know, Nibali, you know, he's, he's a KG rider. He's a rider, I think. One minute exactly. One, your, minute, your, one minute exactly. And, and he knows that, uh, that this race is going to be decided in the final week. But I think that I think that he's expecting to try to get crawl, crawl back some of that time uh, tomorrow in the time trial. And then... Uh, TJ Van Garderen lost 3.46 yesterday. Yeah, TJ, TJ is another story. I mean, TJ, uh, I was talking to Max Chandry at the finish yesterday. Um, I didn't happen to see uh, TJ uh, at, the, at the bus or even as the riders were coming down. So I talked to Max, and he just said that uh, at a certain point, uh, TJ was just going too deep, kind of went into the red, and just had to try to limit his losses. He had Ben Herman's kind of mm-hmm. help him towing up the, up the line. And... Uh, a huge loss for TJ. I mean, he kind of came in here hoping to uh, kind of, uh, you know, rediscover his mojo, Grand Tour mojo. And, uh, and uh, I mean, that's kind of a tough blow. You know, maybe he can still, you know, TJ has that diesel. And, you know, maybe tomorrow he can rebound and, and you know, kind of get some of that time back. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be in it for the win. But, you know, maybe top five. Max Shandry, the sports director for BMC Racing, if we didn't say. And also BMC uh, lost uh, what was in the Mount Etna stage last, Rowan Dennis. Um, uh, well, he abandoned that day because, what was it? He just crashed. Yeah, he crashed. Yeah, he, he had a crash, yeah. And he was, yeah, he was having headaches, and the team decided it was best for him not to continue. And mm-hmm. then, and he was going to be testing himself out in this Giro d'Italia uh, to see what he could do in, uh, uh, in, in the overall of a Grand Tour. It's like this. Uh, this Grand Tour started out literally with almost 20 guys that had kind of moss or you know, more or less kind of had GC hopes. Guys like Rowan Dennis kind of tried for the first time, and now after yesterday's blockhouse raid, adding on the uh, the big crash, we have five guys within a minute. Still, you know, fairly reasonable after the first mountain stage. Mm. You know, a lot of times with the Tour de France, it's like <laughs> race over after one climb. So still, we still, I think we still have a little bit of fight here, especially with this time trial in Umbria. I think he's going to shake things up. And, uh, you know, Nairo is going to have to do some work to win this Giro. Uh, as, as Andy mentioned, we had those five guys up there. We got Thibaut Pino from FTJ at 28 seconds. Tom Dumoulin, Team Sunweb at 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Balka Molema from Trek, Sigafredo 51. And we have Vincenzo Nibali, two-time race winner for racing for Pavre Nibali at 110. You're listening to Cycling Journals on the Road. Andy, I'm, I'm looking over these hills. I mean, I see the Sagrantino vineyards off in the distance. And tonight, I'm, I'm anxious to get some of that red wine that we're all talking about. I mean, we, we've been very fortunate covering the Giro d'Italia year after year. First with that Barolo time trial. And then I think we had the Chianti, no, we had the Chianti time trial last year. We had the Prosecco time trial the, two years ago. Here we are in Umbria, uh, this kind of region that's nestled in between Tuscany, uh, Abruzzo, Marche, beautiful place. Fans should come out and see this area. Great for riding. Andy tried to get out there today before the rain clouds came in. Was unsuccessful. And just great for relaxing and enjoying enjoying the wine. And tomorrow we're going to see some of those vineyards. The first 10 kilometers of this stage are are flat, and then after that it's it's rolly, quite rolly. Uh, not not so technical left and right, but up and down the whole way. And, and Quintana. From what the experts are saying, should be able to hold his own and not lose so much time. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, many are expecting Tom Dumoulin, second at the Rio Olympics behind Fabian Cancellara, who retired right afterwards, 
to take the pink jersey tomorrow. Andy, what do you think? We're going to see Tom Dumoulin back in pink. He was in, in pink last year in Appledorn after winning that time trial. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. It's hard to read Nairo. I think, I think Nairo could actually lose quite a bit of time. Maybe, mm -hmm. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, uh, I, I hope you're right just for the race's sake so we, well, because Nairo is so strong in the mountains it, then it makes for an interesting race in the final two weeks, final week up in the Alps. Yeah, exactly. Because what, what are we going to do for the next two weeks if Nairo has, you know, if he only loses 30 seconds tomorrow? And it, it, perhaps, you know, Nairo's even talking that he thinks he can keep the jersey. Um, but man, I, I personally think that Nairo could, you know, I mean, you know, another guy that's not really, uh, kind of overlooked here is Pino. He's, yeah, yeah. he's quite handy against the clock and, and he's, he's, he's a climber who, you know, at his best is, is right there with Nairo. Okay. Maybe, you know, Nairo is in the class of his own, but man, Pino is right there. World-class, uh, climber. And Pino is coming into this Giro. I mean, great to see, great to see Pino at the Giro. He's coming here to win as well. So I think um, I think Dumoulin and Pinot both could actually really, I don't know, I think they could take up to two minutes on Nairo tomorrow. I mean, maybe I'm completely uh, uh, wrong on that, but 40Ks, I mean, Nairo's pretty good at kind of defending himself in these kind of, you know, that kind of window, 15 to 25K, mm -hmm. 30K time trials. And okay, I mean, last year we saw at the Welta, you know, Froome just took it to him in that longer flat time trial. But I was talking to a few guys this morning, and they're saying that this is a power course, um, and there are climbs, but they're not. Uh, they're kind of those like power climbs. You can kind of surge over it if you're on good form. So, I mean, I think Nairo could possibly lose two minutes. I mean, I hope he does. Yeah, yeah. Well, not because <laughs> we not because we don't like Nairo Quintana, but yeah. but we want to see an interesting race in, in the third week. But also swinging Tom Dumoulin's favorite. You know, the race ends uh, with the time trial uh, to the to Milan's uh, Duomo Cathedral. 29.3, and Andy's just looking at the, the Garibaldi, the race book, 29.3 kilometers from the Monza Formula One racetrack to, to Milan to finish underneath the Duomo. So that could be a good sign for Tom Dumoulin. Uh, Tom Dumoulin can also hold his own in the mountains, and uh, this morning I talked to his former sports director, uh, Adi Ingalls, really cool, really cool guy. Uh, and Adi, Adi said that he was surprised at how well Dumoulin climbed yesterday on the stage to Blockhouse. Of course, you know as well as me that he's <laughs> capable of doing a lot of things. Um, but to be honest, even though I know him quite well, uh, he surprised me yesterday the way he, uh, he did the climb to, to Blockhouse. Very smart, very, uh, yeah, saving his bullets for the last moment. and. and he finished uh, in a great way and uh, 24 seconds to Quintana is not a lot and uh, I think it was one of the hardest finishes this Giro so if he can ma maintain this this and that will I think be his biggest challenge to to maintain this shape this level if he can he will be a big contender for uh, for the final uh, GC for sure so, I mean, Tom Dumoulin really came on, on most of our radars in, uh, in August, September 2015, uh, that, in that Vuelta España. Andy, do, do you remember when Tom Dumoulin came on the radar there and started challenging for the, for the Vuelta? We were all surprised and we were all rooting him on, and then what happened? Yeah, I think it was a surprise even to him. I mean, I remember him saying that at the time, and he's repeated it since then, how surprised he was that he could go that deep. And it was really a breakthrough for him to realize hold on a second maybe I can actually do these grand tours and race for three weeks because um, you know what's great about Dumoulin is he's kind of got that uh, those two elements that you need to be a grand tour rider you know you can climb 
but he's got the time trial and that's so, so important in yeah. modern Grand Tour racing. That's why Nairo has not won the tour. I mean, if Nairo could time trial better, he might have won uh, a, a tour by now. And I think Dumoulin is really one of these guys that can emerge kind of in this, you know, not to say the, the Froome age is over, but, uh, you know, we got Froome another year or two, but Dumoulin is right first in line to kind of really step up and, and you know, perhaps he could even eclipse Nairo. Uh, I think Nairo will want to beat him just for that exact reason because he knows that Dumoulin is a guy that he'll be facing off against uh, the next four, and they're both the same age, the next yeah. four or five years of their careers. You know, for, uh, Quintana's got an eye on Froome. He's also having watched these other guys coming up, Pinot, Bardet. Those guys are off in that Chavez, class of 1990, Chavez. Chavez. So, uh, you know, this Giro is not over. And, uh, you know, Tom Dumoulin in that, in that 2015 Vuelta, he didn't even start that Vuelta thinking of the overall. And it was only in the, in the second week where the team said, you know, hey, let's try for the overall. And there was that time trial. And then Astana and Fabio Aru, they overthrew uh, Dumoulin on the final mountain stage uh, one day before the race finished in Madrid. Adi Ingalls was the sports director there for Team Giant, which is now called Sunweb. And now Adi Ingalls, of course, looks over Stephen Kruiswick, who had sort of a bad day yesterday. Uh, at Team Lotto NL Jumbo, or we like to say Jumbo. 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 You know, so now Addy, Addy says, Addy Ingle says, it's going to be a question of if he can maintain that level for three weeks. So he's going into a, a grand tour for the first time. He's Last year he dedicated himself to racing for time trials and stages. He won that stage, of course, to, uh, to Andorra in the Tour de France. He won a stage in the Giro d'Italia. Uh, and then he went to Rio where he, he took home the silver medal. This Giro d'Italia is the first Grand Tour where he's dedicated himself for going for the overall. He should be prepared for the three weeks. Adi Ingle says that's going to be the biggest test. There he, um, I mean his, his Giro GC I think started already a long time ago. And, uh, and uh, yeah, the Vuelta, it, it, it came as a surprise and started thinking about the GC actually more or less from the second week yeah. of course he was there but we always thought he would fall back but he didn't yeah. so that's a big uh, that's a big difference and i think ma maintaining his level uh, will be the biggest challenge but if he's able to then uh, movie star has to uh, make a good plan i think <laughs> so that uh, time trial tomorrow is going to give us a big idea as will the europa summit finish we have coming up on saturday and you know from there we head into the rest day and the next rest day in bergamo uh, and then the big mountains really take hold. Uh, we're going to get an idea of where Quintana, where, where Dumoulin sets, and where the rest of the Giro uh, tie contenders uh, sit after those stages. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I know we're anxious to find out what happens. Andy, I'm, I'm glad you could be with us to, uh, on the podcast. And uh, let's hit the Umbria bars and taste some of that Sagrantino wine. And eh? what do you say? Well, if you, if, you know, if you have to twist my arm, I guess I'll have to go. As they say in Italian, andiamo. Thank you for listening to Cycling Journals on the Road.